All right. Well, today uh, we're going to do part two of the lesson that we talked about last time. And uh, last time we were, we've been working our way, of course, through the Apostles' Creed. And uh, last time we got to the statement that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And that statement, I think, requires us to talk a little bit more about what the work and the function is of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the fact last week that he is a member of the Trinity, that our God is one God who exists in three persons, that they are co-equal and and they are in perfect unity together. And it is difficult for us to fully understand that, this side of glory. And so the Holy Spirit is one of the Trinity. Beyond that, we know that the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus. Jesus told his disciples that he was going away and that he was going to send to them another helper. And Jesus said of the Holy Spirit that it is to our advantage that Jesus goes back to heaven and that the Holy Spirit comes to live among us. And so uh, today I want us to talk a little bit more about why that is an advantage. And so we're going to start by looking at several passages through the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts in the, in the uh, New Testament there, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the four Gospels, and then Acts. The, the title is the Acts of the Apostles. And some argue that this could be actually titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of Jesus through his disciples. Um, because the work that goes on is not work that's contrived by the apostles themselves. It is work that they are doing in response to, under the guidance of, through the power of, really and truly, the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at several passages real quick. We looked last time about the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost was the day Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what happened? They're there gathered in the upper room and they are praying. And all of a sudden, a sound like a rushing wind comes in. They see tongues of fire. The tongues of fire go and rest over the heads of everyone who's gathered there. And then suddenly they're able to speak in languages that they didn't know. And they go outside and there's a crowd gathering because they've heard the noise and the commotion. And as the crowd is gathered outside and they hear them speaking, everyone who's come from all over different regions of the known world of the day hear them speak in a language that is familiar to them. And they marvel at this. And Peter gives a speech, and and through his testimony, through his sermon that day, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it says 3,000 people were saved. But the Holy Spirit wasn't finished there. Look with me in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people. Now listen, this is a point in time when Peter had been arrested. right? And he has been brought before the council to be basically condemned for what he has done. And he has the opportunity to speak for himself. And Jesus actually warned his disciples. He said, listen, they're going to do this to you. They're going to drag you before the courts. They're going to drag you before the rulers. And you're going to have to give an account. He says, but don't worry. My spirit will give you utterance in that day. And what does it say? Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. 
And he said, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for, the, for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Right? One of the things that we pointed out last week is that the work of the Holy Spirit will always point people back to Christ. Jesus said, he will testify about me. That's what Jesus said about the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what's happening in this moment. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, standing there before this council, says, you want to know why this man is so well before you? This man who's been lame from birth, you want to know why he's in good health? because of Jesus Christ from Nazareth, the one that you killed, that God raised from the dead. It is by his name that he stands here. And it's the Holy Spirit who gave him the power to do that. We go on a little bit further. It kind of sounds nice, right? Like, okay, so the Holy Spirit is going to be there just to kind of give us power whenever we need it. And the, the Holy Spirit is just like a, a really great sidekick to have along. Like, like a Pokemon you carry in your pocket, right? You just pull him out and he does the battle for you and everything will be great. The Pokemon may have been a little bit low. Of the, anyway, <clears throat> maybe my kids will like it. But anyway, <laughs> some of the younger ones. But anyway, uh, Look with me in Acts chapter 5, because here we see something that the Holy Spirit does that doesn't really sound quite so friendly to us. Here we go. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Let me set this up just a little bit. Ananias was a a member of the congregation there in Jerusalem, and, and Peter has called him in because Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, they got together, they said, hey, listen, we're going to sell our land. Everybody was selling their stuff and giving the money to the church. He said, we're going to sell our land and we're going to give the money to the church, but we're going to keep back a portion, right? But we're not going to tell anybody about it. We're going to give this and this great big gift to the church and we're going to hold back a part of it and, and say, and just tell them that we gave all of it to the church. It says, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. Now listen. The Holy Spirit is not something to trifle with. It's not something that we get to use whenever we want to, but then we can just leave it aside whenever we want to do our own thing. And and I think it's important for us to acknowledge that this is the work, again, of the Holy Spirit in this, this moment in time. And Ananias, and by the way, Sapphira comes in next. And she holds to the lie, and she dies as well. Because they, not because they lied to men. It's not, that's not the issue. It's not that they held back the money. That's not the issue. The issue is, is they tried to, to lie to the Holy Spirit. 
we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is not just there to help us whenever we need an extra boost of help. He's there to correct us too. He's going to point us to the truth. Jesus refers to him several times as the spirit of truth. And to lie is not something that he takes lightly. And if this is uncomfortable for you and I to talk about the Holy Spirit killing someone for, for, not, for holding back money and not disclosing that they've held back some of the profit for themselves, we're in good company. Look at what it says. Fear came over all who heard it. They were uncomfortable with it too. But we need to understand, we're not just dealing with a nice little happy sidekick. We are dealing with God himself. He's not a puppet for us to, to, to manipulate into doing what we want him to do. He is God in the spirit. God who lives inside of us. God who knows all truth from beginning to end. And he's not to be trifled with. He does have tremendous power. And he wants to help us, is what he wants to do. We just need to be careful that we don't try to manipulate the Spirit. We don't try to earn our own accolades like Ananias and Sapphira were doing. We don't need to pretend because God sees right through it. But let's look at another passage. Jump over to the book, uh, or excuse me, also in Acts, but chapter 8. If you go down to, to chapter 8 in the book of Acts, it says this. It says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. All right, this is good because we have a story about Jonah in the Old Testament. You guys remember his story? God said, go to Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? He went the exact opposite direction. But here, Philip, he says, all right. The angel says, go, I go. And he says, he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And it says he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So here we see the work of the Holy Spirit telling Philip, first of all, an angel tells him, go down the desert road. And then whenever he's out there, he's like, here I am. And then this chariot comes rumbling up and the Spirit says to Philip, go join that chariot. That's an interesting thing. How, how did Philip hear that? Was there an audible voice? Was it something inside his heart? Was it just a mental thought that he had? We don't get a lot of clarity here. But it says that the Spirit told him, go up and join this chariot. It says Philip ran up, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. He said, do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch, he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. And by the way, Philip led him to Jesus. He took the, the very place that he was reading in Isaiah about the coming Messiah, and he pointed to the fact that Jesus had fulfilled all of those prophecies. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, look, there's water. Why don't I get baptized? And Philip says, that's a great idea. And by the way, as soon as that happened, 
I don't know why I didn't get this verse in here too. But as soon as he baptized him in the river and he came up out of the water, all of a sudden, Philip was gone. And it says that Philip found himself in such and such a city miles away from this water where he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. So what is the Spirit able to do? A lot of things. I mean, prompted him to go up and join the chariot, yes. But then just snatched him out of that location and put him somewhere else. And it says, if you read on there at the end of the book of, of, of excuse me, in Acts chapter 8, you'll see that he finds himself somewhere else and he just goes about preaching the gospel as he goes. He continues the work. The Spirit will lead you to do things that you probably wouldn't do normally. Let's look on it. If we go to jump over to chapter 10 and verse 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely, no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. And so here, as Peter is gathered together with these Gentiles, first of all, that was a no-no. It was a taboo. It was something that Jewish people did not do. They didn't go to gatherings of Gentile people. They were, they were tolerant at best of the fact that all these Gentiles were living in their land. That these Gentiles were lording over them through the Roman occupation. But to go to their gatherings, to, to be seen among them, that was taboo. You didn't do that. But God had given Peter a vision. He, he put down this cloth full of animals that were unclean to eat, and, and he said, take and eat. And Peter said, no, I would, I've never even touched that kind of food. I'm not going to do that. God said to him, don't call unclean what I have said is clean. A vision happened three times, and as soon as it finished the third time, there was a knock at his door, and they said, would you come to my master's house? And his master was a Gentile, a centurion by the name of Cornelius, and, G and Peter goes with them, understanding the connection. Don't call it unclean if I've said it's clean. And he goes to the Gentiles' house and he says, he basically says to them, I don't know why I'm saying this to you because I don't think this is going to work for you guys, but this is the only message I know. Jesus was the Messiah and he died on the cross and God raised him up from the dead and you got to believe in him. And it kind of reads like that was about his energy in preaching it to them. But what happens next is the Holy Spirit falls and the people respond to this message with the enthusiasm that comes through the Holy Spirit, through that response. And what they witnessed, these Jewish people who were with Peter, who had gone to this place that they thought, we should not be here. This is not where we belong. This message isn't even good for them. It's only good for us. I don't know why we're here, why we're saying these things to them. And then they see. This is the same thing that happened to us on the day of Pentecost. This, this is the same thing as the Holy Spirit did through us. We see it happening among these Gentiles. And so that's why Peter says, any of you guys got a reason we can't baptize them? 
Because this is the same thing. The Holy Spirit confirmed for Peter that these people were his people. That even though they were Gentiles, even though they were anathema to him, even though they were outsiders completely to what he thought the faith was all about, he said, no, they're brothers. These are my sisters. These are my people because the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me, I can see is living inside of them. He confirmed the work that was being done. One other passage here in the book of Acts. In Acts 16, by the way, Paul comes into the picture now. And, and Paul, if you know, was on his way to persecute the Christians on the road to Damascus. And, and all of a sudden, the light appears. The, the people who are with him see the light, but they don't hear the voice. Anyway, he hears this voice that says, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Just go ahead, go into the city, wait there a few days. Somebody's going to come and pray for you and you'll get your sight back because he'd been struck blind. Anyway, long story, Paul ends up going on missionary journeys. God says, you're, you're mine and you're going to do a lot of work for me now. And so Paul goes and he goes to places where Jews don't go. Right, he, he goes into the parts of the world that, that they're really, they don't fit in there. Now, there are Jews who are living there through various circumstances that have been there, and they, they found each other, and they're gathering, and they're worshiping in their own local Sanhedrins. Sanhedrins? That's not the word. What's the word? Anyway, there's a word for that. Synagogue! Thank you. All right, so they're, they're gathering in their synagogues, local, and, uh, and as they're gathering, you know, they're... they're you know, reading the Torah and they're reading the prophets and they're, they're studying the scriptures. And then Paul comes in and he says, guess what, guys? The Messiah has come. I didn't get to see him personally while he was, he, he was working, but I've met him after he's risen from the dead. Let me tell you all about him. And, and Paul, because he grew up in the church, he knew all of these things. He, he grew up in the, the teachings of the Torah, of the prophets. He understood and he could say, look, look, you see where Isaiah says this? Jesus did that. And you remember how it was confusing? It's like it says that he was from Nazareth, but it also said that he was going to be from Galilee. Or it also said this and it said he was going to be born in Bethlehem. You remember all that? Well, guess what? Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. Remember how it said he would come from Egypt? Well, he went to Egypt and hid out there for a couple of years. You see, Jesus fulfilled all the scriptures. He connects all the dots we've been wondering about. And as he preaches this, people are getting saved. And not only Jews, but Gentiles also. And Paul goes over all over the place. And he's preaching the gospel. He's founding churches as they go. In Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 6, it says this. They passed through the Phrygian, Phrygian, I don't know how to pronounce that properly, but anyway, and the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. You see that? Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. <clears throat> Tapped the wrong button. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Again, what? The Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I find that particular phrasing really interesting. Because it says, it says some really interesting things. He says, first of all, the Holy Spirit was forbidding them to speak the word in Asia. And then it says, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to go into these other regions. And then he has a vision, a dream in the night. And it says this, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here's what I, I gather from these things. This is kind of, of what I come to understand. As we read these passages about what does the Holy Spirit do, we want, in our enlightened age, you know, the age of science and reason, we want there to be like this formula, right? Tell me what the Holy Spirit does. How do I know that it's the Holy Spirit who's leading me? And what we see in the New Testament is that there is no formula. He's not a, a computer program that you just got to learn the right commands in order to make it operate the way you want it to operate. It's not how the Holy Spirit works. He's a person who interacts with us and that in ways that we can't fully understand sometimes, but we have to take what's been given to us, we have to take what's before us, and we have to understand and conclude sometimes that this is what the Holy Spirit wants. You look at, at Philip. The angel says, go down the desert road. Doesn't say what to do once he gets there, and he's there. And then a chariot shows up, and the Spirit says, join the chariot. Then he knows what he's asked to do. And as he joins the chariot, he just knows it's time to present the gospel. And then the Spirit takes him somewhere else. I think that's what's going on with Paul and his missionary journey here. It's We're trying to go here and with, all the doors are closing. We try to go this way and all the doors are closing. And then at night I have this vision, come over to Macedonia and help us. I think the Lord is telling us that we've got the wrong plan ahead of us and we need to change course and go over to Macedonia and we see that God works through them in Macedonia Philippi and, and on and on it goes and so we don't have a formula how to get the Holy Spirit to do what you want it to do right? if you read any headlines that say like 10 easy steps to you know, get the Holy Spirit on your side Run away. They're twisting something there. Here's, here's some of the evidence that we have. Look with me in Galatians 5.22. This is going to be very familiar to you. If you've grown up in church, been around church life very often, you're going to know this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. And some of y'all could probably name this without looking. Right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Right? 
When it calls it the fruit of the Spirit, what that means is it's the outgrowth. It is the evidence of the identity that's within. Right? How do you know that it's a pear tree? By the pears that come off of it. Right? So how do you know if the Spirit is at, is at work in someone's life? It's by these marks in their life. Do they have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? Faithfulness. I always skip faithfulness. Anyway, are those things coming out of that person? Do you see that stuff on the outside? If you do, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work. Something started making noise. That got worse. I don't know what it is. I'm not the only one that hears it, right? No, no. Is it plugged into the computer back there? The cord into the computer? Weird. Hannah <laughs> did this to me. Just keep going. All right. So these are the evidence of the Spirit residing within someone. Are you walking in the Spirit? Here's the question. Do you have love for people? Is there joy in your life, even in the midst of difficult circumstances? Is there peace in your heart? Do you have patience in times of trouble? Can you show kindness to people? Is there your life marked by goodness and faithfulness? Is gentleness come naturally to you? Whereas maybe in the past it didn't. Does self-control define your life? These are the marks of the Spirit being at work in the hearts of people. Now it's interesting. You know, we want those things like, okay, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to be really faithful. I'm going to, I'm going to show a lot of love. I'm going, to, I'm going to work that out so that I can prove that the Holy Spirit's in my life. You, you, you're putting the cart before the horse, right? You don't go out and love people so that you have more spirit in your life. You need more spirit in your life so that love comes naturally to you. He says earlier in that same chapter in, in Galatians 5, if you go back up to verse 16, he says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that, that you please. You see, we have two desires within us. We're at war within our members. We have a flesh that still desires the things of this world, still desires pleasure, still desires whatever is self-serving. But we also have the Spirit within us who's leading us to a better way, who's teaching us how to walk differently. And what he's saying is walk by the Spirit. Choose to walk by the Spirit. Jesus put it this way. He said in John chapter 15, as he was in the, the middle of telling them, I'm about to go away. The Holy Spirit is going to come. It's going to be to your advantage. He also said these words to them in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. He says, abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. All right, if, if, if you came over to my house and I had just finished trimming all my trees and I set those limbs aside and then you came back a week later and all of a sudden they, they're growing peaches or grapes or, you know, who knows what else. That would be disturbing, right? Branches that are cut off from the tree, they don't bear fruit anymore. That process shuts down because they're not connected to the real source of nutrients, to the real source of power for the tree to produce the fruit. If the branch is cut off from it, it can't grow any fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. Just as the, the vine, the, the branches of the vine can't produce any fruit unless they're connected back to the vine. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. There's going to be no fruit in your life unless you are connected to me, unless you are abiding in me. This is something that is much deeper than how a lot of people practice their faith today. See, abiding means that you are staying connected continuously. It's a mark of your entire life. If a branch checked in for about a couple hours every week with the tree, would that branch grow much fruit? Let me go... And then pull it out and go and do whatever else it wanted to do. That branch isn't going to grow any fruit at all. It's going to be as dead as any branch could ever be. Abiding means that you're with it. You're sticking to it. You are staying in it. If we want the Spirit to work inside of us, we have to abide in Him. We have to stay connected. It's a daily walk in our Christian life. It's a choice we make day in and day out to stay connected to Christ, to stay connected to His desires, and to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. Now listen, the Holy Spirit is still at work today. There's no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit is still active in God's people today. And He wants to be active in your life. There's no question in my mind. The authority of Scripture tells me that the Holy Spirit wants to give you a power and authority to do things for the kingdom of God. Even this week, God's ready if you are. I believe that with all my heart. Without any question, without any doubt at all, we are destined to be used by Him to produce this kind of fruit in our life. It's going to look different for each of us. I'm going to go through this as quickly as I can. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think this is important for us to see that, you know, you say, well, I'm not getting up there. I'm not, I'm not going to be preaching anytime soon. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. Right? Preaching was not one of the fruit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, preaching. No, that's not in the list. Right? Going on missionary trips. That's not in the list. What we're talking about is being God's ambassador wherever you are to show the love and the compassion that he has to the people that are in your life. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, it says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. However, you were led. 
Therefore, I make known to you that no one, speaking by the Spirit of God, says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Right? So, as we read in the book of Acts about all these wonderful things the apostles did, those are varieties of the gifts that God gives. It's the same Spirit that's at work. He goes on, there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. All right? So let me point out right here. Distributing to each one. That includes you. There are gifts that God is giving to you to fulfill the kingdom's agenda in your life. You say, well, how do I find that? There's no formula. The way we find it is to abide. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him He bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, I'm not calling for you to do a lot of extra work so that the Spirit will be in your life. That's backwards. What I'm I'm calling for, what the Scripture points us towards, is to dive into your relationship with Jesus. Don't make it something where you're just checking in once a week. Or even that you're just checking in once a day. And then the rest of your day is just filled with your own thoughts about your own stuff. But abide in Him. Just like a branch abides in the tree. If you want to produce fruit, if you want to see the Spirit at work in your life, if you want to know what it is He's designed you for in the kingdom, abide in Him. And trust Him. He's going to show you the way. Now listen. I wish it was a formula. I wish I could say, well, it's an easy list. Just do this, this, and this. And then the Spirit's going to show you. It doesn't work that way, though. This is an ongoing process. And just like Paul, who if anybody was a super Christian, it was Paul, had to say, so we concluded that We should go to Macedonia. Way got blocked here. Way got blocked here. I had a vision about Macedonia. Seems like the Spirit's pointing us towards Macedonia. Sometimes it feels exactly like that. There's some uncertainty. But if you're obedient to where you feel the Lord is leading you, and you've got people around you who are are with you on that decision... Christian, godly people who are, who are also walking with the, the Spirit in their lives, who are saying, I think you're right. I think this sounds good. Then you can have confidence that you're doing your very best to be obedient to the Lord 
and trust Him for the outcomes. Because it's not your work that matters, it's His work through you. Let's pray together. God, I thank You for the promise of Your Holy Spirit. Without it, we would have no hope of producing anything positive in our lives. We acknowledge what you told your disciples that night, that apart from you, we can do nothing. So Lord, help us to abide in you. Lord, help us to remain faithful day in and day out to be your disciples. And may you have your way in us. For your glory, for your kingdom's sake, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You respond to the Lord this morning as he leads you. Maybe there's some habits you need to develop. Maybe there's some habits you need to break so that you can truly abide in him. Whatever it is that God's leading you to do, you respond to him. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'd be glad to do so. If if you need to pray with the person next to you, please do so. If, if you want to sing and worship, we encourage you to do so. Do you respond to the Lord as he leads you? As Keetron leads us in song.